Star Wars is back. Hello, Chewie, how are you? <laughs> I didn't really think this through because I can't understand him. Next, Alan, Woody Harrelson from Solo and Gail King. Today at 3 on NBC4. And think there's no reason to stay up until 11? Let's do the math. Four radars, more choppers, and this team equals more coverage at 11. Chuck, Colleen, Fritz, Fred. Call on these four before you call it a night. NBC4 News at 11. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. And this show is about conversations plus connections equals community. What's your story? And everyone has one, and it's my joy to introduce you to my guest today, singer and author Kelly Harlan. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Oh, Marsha, it's so great to talk to you. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, it's just going to be so much fun. You know, people often ask me, how do you find your guests? Well, it happens in a variety of ways, but in our case, because as I have these three C's, the connects with conversations, connections, and community, we have a connection that began, are you ready for this, 56 years ago. <laughs> Kelly and I met, I know, <laughs> Kelly and I, it's, it's hysterical, truly. When you say those numbers, it's like, how can we be that old? Kelly and I right. met at Airport Junior High School and attended Westchester High School together in Los Angeles. And I don't think, I went through back over my reunion books, I don't think that we have seen each other since our 30th high school reunion. I, have you been to a reunion since the 30th? I don't think you have. Have you? I have not. No, that's the last time I saw you, Marcia. And I was well, thrilled then, and I need to see you again. <laughs> yes, you do. Because you certainly... <laughs> have had an exciting career, and that's what this show is all about. I would, and I know that we have a vast audience that listens to our show, but certainly I'll be sharing this show with our friends from high school. But for those, for those listeners that really don't know too much about you, I would just love to hear your background and, and tell, us, tell everybody about yourself, with, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. And, you know, I was... I changed my name at age, um, I think I was 16. I graduated from Westchester High at age 16. And around that time, I was dying to change my name. My original name is Kelly Kidman, and that's how the high school mates know me, as Kelly Kidman. But then at 16, I saw um, a sign in Hollywood uh, right off Doheny, (laughs) Beverly Hills, actually, and it was Harland Avenue, and I saw the sign, and I immediately wanted that last name for my name. I had been looking for a stage name because I was a showbiz kid, and um, just basically to let you know that I was Kelly Kidman, I didn't know about Nicole then, or I probably would have kept it, but um, Harland (laughs) became my name, and my, my parents let me have it legally changed, so I went to court at age 16, <laughs> and I became Kelly Harlan, oh. and that's who I, who I am now and who I've been ever since I was 16 years old. But the high school people know me as Kelly Kidman. So um, I was thinking about this. I, my background, um, I think everything was always music and showbiz for me starting at a very early age. 
Um, and I think that came from the fact that I moved, my parents and I moved. I was an only child, and my parents and I moved 10 times before I was eight years old, Marsha. So, wow. you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot, you know, my beginning. Right. And it was sort of back and forth between Southern California, where I was born. I was born in Los Angeles. And then my mother's family all lived in Portland, Oregon. So my parents were back and forth between California and Oregon many times. They, they just were hmm. sort of trying to find a way to settle. And, um, and so it wasn't until I became a mother myself and had my own, my son, that I thought about the, you know, what an effect that must have had on me. And when we finally, when my parents and I finally landed in Westchester, California, which is where you and I met, um, I was very shy. I'd already been, you know, in and out of five different schools. And mm. when I came to Westchester Elementary, I was the shy little cootie bug girl <laughs> that couldn't play any sports and didn't know how to socialize and all that stuff. So I believe that's when I fell in love with music and fantasy and dreamed of being a star. I was that, it was that early. I was eight years old. And I remember when I made the decision to sing and that I, when I was going to become a singer, I was roller skating around the block in my neighborhood. And I remember it was twilight and it was turning into evening and I looked up at the moon and I, I know it sounds romantic and corny, but I was eight and I said to myself, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a singer. And, you know, so it turned out, <laughs> but that's, that's, there, that's a terrific story. Go ahead. Yes. I want to hear more. Go I, ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, by the time I got into middle school and there were Beatles, it was Beatle life, as you may recall, mm-hmm. Beatlemania. Oh, sure. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's all hard. At that age, we were the perfect. We, we were at the perfect age at the perfect time for the British invasion, and so mm-hmm. I had grown up listening to my parents' music and loving Judy Garland. And you know, G- the album Judy Garland at Carnegie Hall was the thing that introduced me to to singing. And um, then after that came the Beatles and the Stones and rock and roll, and I became immersed in that whole scene like everybody did. Um, and I was in the, you know, in choir in junior high and at Westchester High School. So um, it just became my life. And I, as I say, you know, my parents both worked full time. I was pretty much on my own. And I had had that experience, you know, when I was age zero through eight of being, you know, pulled in and pulled out of different situations. And it was my grounding place. So. I became, uh, you know, interested in music from a very early age. So, so that's basically my younger background. And then, of course, meeting you was a highlight. <laughs> oh, sure. That's what everybody says, right. I'll make sure I autograph my first book. You know what's, so interesting, what's so interesting about what you just said is I had the entirely different experience in that I was born in Westchester, I started in Westchester. I went to 98th Street School when you were at Westchester Elementary School. Then we, we were in, you know, smaller schools, and then you come to a big junior high school, and there's all these people, and it's like, oh, my God, there's so many people. And then, of course, yes. then our two junior high schools, Airport and Overwrite combined, 
to go to Westchester High. And Kelly, I don't know if you know this, but both of my kids also went to Westchester High. And so no. I've been very immer- oh yes, Nin- graduated ninety two and ninety five. So I've been very wow. immersed in this community for such a long time. I even worked at the YMCA for ten years when the kids were in college. But like oh my you, gosh. I know it's just so cool. But like you, I have memories. And I see, we didn't know what was going on in other people's homes. You might have known what your best friend, Linda Leroy, was mine, what, what, what she <laughs> might have been doing. But, and I just saw her and another friend, Linda Galino, yesterday. We, we hung out together and we met in junior high. But, oh, great. I, didn't, I would have never known that you saw yourself as the shy girl. You probably wouldn't have realized I was that same girl, too. I just oh, was no. so, I know I really was. I was the shortest. I had the worst hair. I had the worst teeth. I was smoking at <laughs> Marcia, age 12. You, you I had, was a rebel. You had the perfect, you had the perfect flip. You had the perfect I, flip. We all went oh for this good hairstyle. We all went You had the perfect mohair sweater. I remember you. <laughs> oh my, do you know my mohair sweater? Okay, my mother made all of my clothes. So my mohair sweater was knit oh. by my mom. It's crazy. Oh. But what I recall about you is that we were in chorus together. I think it was called Girls Glee with Miss Walden. <gasps> and yes. I wanted to sing too. I mean, I've always wanted to sing. People will say, my husband used to say to me, listen, if I want to listen to Stevie Nicks. If I wanted to listen to you, I would turn Stevie Nicks off. So it's like, you know, do not karaoke with me in the car. Trust me, you just need not to do that. But I wanted to. And I, I Mr. Dr. Christensen was my homeroom teacher back then. He did the orchestra. And there was always like spit on the floor and icky things on the floor because the orchestra was there. <laughs> but I loved going to Miss Waldorf's class because we had those rise um, steps, you know, to, to sit in yes. chorus. Yes. So I really do recall way back then when, when we did that. But then you went on and you made it big in high school. I, I applied. I went out. I auditioned or whatever they called it back then to be in the choir in high school. But if, if you recall, what you had to do is Mr. Dr. Wood, Mr. Wood at the time, he would sit at the piano, handed you a sheet of music, and then you right. needed to sight read and sing it. Well, I couldn't do that. Oh, dear. I, I had no skill to how to do that. So um, I was a failure at that. But you weren't. And I just, just tell us a little bit about what high school choir meant to you and that, that camaraderie that you had with our classmates. Well, here's what's interesting. First of all, you know, so does that mean you did not make it into Mr. Wood's choir? Is that what that you're telling me? Is that you'd, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the it audience applauding you. <laughs> oh, great. Well, you know, it was this transformative experience, as I'm sure you now realize, even yes. over these years of being at the reunions. You know, it was it was life-changing. It was the most spectacular moments of my girlhood were spent um, in in the Westchester Acapella Choir. And, um, you know, it, I had, here's what happened with me in, in that situation. When it came to the high school musical, I auditioned and never got a solo part. I, hmm. you know, in the, in the, 
we performed in choir in various situations in various programs and the you know I had a wonderful time performing as part of the alto section but then when we had auditions for musicals um, I remember (laughs) a few auditions I did in front of Mr. Wood and then at one point I think he took a year off for a sabbatical or something and he had a substitute and I auditioned for her but I was so afraid to audition. Um, if we zip ahead to current days, I'm now a voice teacher, and I have many <laughs> high school and middle school students, and I can relate to their fears so well because I was in that situation myself, and I never quite made it to the forefront of the high school musical shows. So, um, so in a way, I had a few disappointments of my own <laughs> during that time. Mm-hmm. But um, but what happened was, you know, I moved to the Northwest. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, and we'll get to that later. But I'm in Seattle now, and uh-huh. I live here in the same area as a guy named Howard Kalin, who was the oh. lead singer and was, I think, Steve Kaplan when we knew him. But then he became mm-hmm. Howard Kalin. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was Howard Kaplan. No, anyway. Um, yeah. You know who Howard, I'm talking about. Right. Howard, <clears throat> Mark Volman and Mark Howard Bowman. Kaplan. And Howard Kaplan changed his name to Howard Kalin. Okay. So Correct. that's just the catch up. But, but who were those guys? Because I know who they were. They were the Turtles. Yes. And so... <laughs> what happened Happy is together. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Um, a few years after I moved to, well, actually about ten years after I was living here in Seattle, I found out that he lived across the across Lake Washington from me and was friends of friends. And I've actually met him at a couple of parties and sung with him at a couple of parties. <laughs> so. You know, and when we talk about the, how this gets back to Mr. Wood is the Turtles named their publishing company um, after, and I forget exactly what the name is, Bob Wood Publishing. I think that's what it is. Hmm. But um, no they, because he was he was so influential in Howard's life and so important to Howard. And, and so when he and I finally got together in the Northwest, that's what we talked about. We talked about Mr. Wood and how important he was to us. So, you know, it sort of branches out beyond Westchester High School. You know what's funny about this? And this is what happens on a, in a great conversation because you just segued me to some place that I need to tell you about. So the Turtles, um, and they had a few other members from our high school. They were, they were I think they were two years ahead of us in school. Um, they went on to become Flo and Eddie, both Mark and Howard. Yes. But they also tour as the Turtles. And so in next month, on July 14th, they're going to be at a theater in Beverly Hills, the Salem Theater, and a group of us are going to hear them. And probably oh. 12 years ago, I don't even remember now how long ago it was, they were touring and a group of us went to San Diego and we, we carried our Westchester High signs because they were with a bunch of other groups. And it was like, we know those guys. <laughs> like, they know me, right? We know those guys because we have a real sense of pride that the Turtles became so successful and right out of, like you say, the choir at Westchester High School. It's, it's really, really cool. So yes, did you, it's so cool. It, 
it is so uh, what age did you actually begin your professional singing career when did you actually come become professional in what you do well i was 16 and, and as i say just out of high school mm-hmm. um my mother worked at a restaurant and i think it was on la cienega called tractons now i don't know if i have that yes. right but okay I, am i right yes, that was a tractons. famous place mm-hmm. yes and my mom was a waitress there and they had a trio there playing at night a jazz trio bass drums and keyboards piano and um I had been singing around the house. Actually, before you met me in junior high school, I'd sung in a contest at age 11 in Westchester for the mm. Westchester Rotary Club. Oh, and no kidding. I, and I won. <laughs> and so that was sort of where I started singing. And then, you know, then on to Airport Junior High and then on to Westchester High and then and so during that time I'd been singing around the house and singing with friends and we all had guitars and we played folk songs and we were love Joan Baez and Dylan and all that stuff. And so there's lots of singing going on around my house. So my mother arranged for me to go and sit in with these guys at her restaurant, Tractons, and she brought me there at like nine o'clock at night, which was just really late for me to sure. <laughs> be going out somewhere. And um, I mean, for me, because I was a good girl, I didn't roam around and do crazy things until one o'clock in the morning when I was 16, like so many of my students do now. But um, (laughs) but I sang, I sat in on a couple of songs. I remember one of the songs that I sang was on a clear day that I look around you, you know, it was like jazz stand, jazzy standard. Mm. And I sang about three songs and you know, I, I had this kind of big voice. Um, it was almost cartoonish, Marsha. <laughs> because I had a big voice with big Judy Garland vibrato. And I don't think it was like my favorite version of my singing, let's say. But people were impressed because I was so young. And yes. in those days, you know, now there are so many amazingly talented young singers and there's the voice and American Idol and all oh, these, know. you know, I mean, so many singers in the world now, but, but then there, I actually thought I was the only singer age 16 female that even existed. I mean, I, I was so proud of myself <laughs> because it seemed like what? there was no competition. Sure. So anyway, that, well, that's there really where really wasn't. Well, there sort of wasn't, actually. It wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I had that taste of singing in, you know, a band, but I wasn't old enough to get into a club yet. Um, mm-hmm. So that was my first time in front of an audience. Then my parents got me a manager. The man that owned Tractons had a partner, and they wanted to manage me, and they took me to Gold Star Records, and I made, uh, you know, the kind of record that you make when you you come out with a vinyl disc, like you go in mm-hmm. and you record <laughs> and they hand you a disc <laughs> at the end. And it was like so exciting. It was wonderful, but I still wasn't old enough to, to play in a club by myself. So that whole part of my life kind of ended. And then, and when I was, Oh, probably late teens, I 
I fell in with a group of friends in Westchester and we were all into rock and roll. We were into Jefferson Airplane and all that stuff and Haight-Ashbury and Sgt. Pepper. And we, I really got into the scene and then I wanted to start singing different music. So I joined a band when I was, I think, 19 and we played, and this was, this is finally the answer to your question. What was my first professional? And the first (laughs) time I played as a professional was at, Donkins, which was a club in Marina del Rey. Yep. And I remember, and I played in the rock band, and we played the cover tunes of the day. And, um, and I had to stand outside on the breaks. So I could, I could come in, because I was only 19, come in, sing my songs. A lot of, a lot of performers have gone through this phase where you are singing, but you're underage, so you go out and stand in the parking lot when you're done singing. And then you come back out and sing and you go back. And I just remember, thank goodness it wasn't Seattle where, you know, rain would be pouring down on my head. It's like I was standing in the evenings of Marina Del Rey, you know, enjoying myself in the parking lot. So so anyway, that that was my first gift. That is so cool. So, So when you graduated at age 16, did you leave in the 11th grade or did you finish your, you're in the senior yearbook. Did you finish your senior year, but you were just younger? I finished my senior year. I had skipped a grade and actually it happened in all that oh. moving around before I was eight. Got it. Because I'd, I'd get into a school and they'd, they'd advance me. So one school advanced me a semester and then another school advanced me a semester. So that was a full grade. So I was always one year younger than pretty much anybody in my class. Yes, so I, I, yeah, and that's that's interesting. Yes, it is. Yeah, interesting. I didn't, I didn't and there's know that. one other phase that I'm I'm going to pop yes. in here and just give because this is we're we're still talking about my background and we'll yes. I'm so old it will never get beyond that, Marsha. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so but when I was when I graduated from Westchester High and I was you know a showbiz starstruck kid. I moved out of my parents' apartment in in Westchester, and I moved to the Hollywood Studio Club, which was right off La Brea. It was La Brea and Sunset near the Hollywood Ranch Market. It was right behind hmm. the Hollywood Ranch Market, and it was a, it was a um, a, a home <laughs> for young actresses and musicians. And Marilyn Monroe had lived there. Kim Novak had lived there. Oh, a number of other people that I can't think of right now. Um, And it was built in 1925 and was still going in the 60s. So you could live there for 25, if you were in, you know, the industry, quote unquote, or Mm -hmm. trying to be, trying to make your way, you could live there for, it was run by the YWCA, and you could live there for $25 a week two meals a day. So wow. I did that and I got a job. I lived in Hollywood on my own at age 16. Now that I'm a parent, Marsha, oh, <laughs> I can't imagine like, oh how God. that even happened, but I did that for a couple of years. Lived there and was roommates with, not roommates with, but club mates with Farrah Fawcett. And a number of other really? young actresses that were there. So that was a big, I love to tell people up here in the Northwest about that part of my life. That's, so that's, that's, that's real. That could be a book. So, well, we're yeah. going to talk about the fact that you are also an author. 
So you spent your childhood here and and in Hollywood. Why did you move to the Northwest? Well, because I'd had those summers in, and those times in Portland as a, as a kid. In fact, because of my mother's family being in Portland, we're in Westchester and stayed there. In the summer, I'd often go up and visit Port, the Portland area or my grandparents' um, ran a motel in Seaside, Oregon, which is the Oregon coast that's just absolutely beautiful. One it of is. the destination points. Yes, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. So I knew that. Like, I knew that feeling of the mountains and the sea and the pine trees. And I always loved that and wanted to live in a place like that. So when I realized that, in fact, I was in the middle of doing some pretty amazing musical things in Los Angeles, in 1972, um, actually early 70s, I had I'd gotten quite a few um, recording studio jobs singing background vocals for, like I even did one for the Beach Boys, a little project for the Beach Boys at their house in Bel Air. And cool. you know, I was in the I was in the middle of of singing in L.A., but that pull of the Northwest had been with me for years that I needed to get out of the concrete jungle. Of course, I think Los Angeles is beautiful, fun, and free and magical. But at that point, I was like ready to not, you know, I wanted to be with nature, right in nature. That was my dream. So my boyfriend Makes at the sense. time, who, yeah. mm-hmm. who was Craig Morley, and I don't know if anyone remembers Craig, but he was a Westchester guy. And um, anyway, huh. so Craig and I, we're boyfriend and girlfriend, and we decided to get in our car. Uh, we checked out three library books, Sunset Books, from Sunset Magazine. They had books, <laughs> a book of Vancouver, B.C., Seattle, Washington, and Portland, Oregon. I checked these from the Westchester Library. <laughs> and I looked at them, and I said, it's going to be one of those three. We got in our car. We had... Our, we had Craig's stereo. We had about $200 and some clothes. And we got in the car and we drove north. We tried Portland. We went, nah, no. We loved Vancouver, B.C., but we, which I still do. But we couldn't get in because, you know, we were American. <laughs> it was going to be really right. hard to try to get live there. And so we thought, well, what about this place, Seattle, the one that has the Space Needle? And we <laughs> drove back to Seattle, and we stayed and never left. And that's how I got to Seattle. It was just from from the Sunset Library books. How did those books get returned to Mrs. Gates, the head librarian? That was Maxine Gates' mom. <laughs> Whoa! I don't know if you knew Good that. Question. You know what? Maxine's I, mom was the head librarian. That's funny. That is amazing. No, I never, yeah, I, I never knew that. But I know you, you probably have so much knowledge that I'm just craving, and we'll get to that when we finally meet again. Anyway, Indeed we will. Um, because I, did you know that we have a classmate? Did you know that Janet Hansen lives in Seattle? No. And I don't know if you remember her. Yeah, so that like you said, we'll, we will we will continue our reunion after our show. But I think Seattle. We went. Linda and I went and visited Janet a couple of years ago. I think Seattle oh. is a beautiful city. It is. 
It's an amazing it city. You know, it's it's reputation right now is that it's becoming extremely overcrowded and you may have mm, read wow. that it's been in the headlines you know we're just bursting at the seams because amazon.com is here yeah you know, amazon is here and so right it's just we're getting a thousand new people a month that's actually a you also figure. have you ask you also have in that sort of vicinity um costco um, and in yes. the old days, Boeing, and so there's yes. a lot of Microsoft and Starbucks are both yep. here. All of those, yes. Yeah. And but the, yeah. the, it, it's a cool place. So you so you moved to Seattle. I have a feeling it wasn't probably a big adjustment for you, other than the weather clearly was much different than Los Angeles. So you can you continue to sing in Seattle today. Is that correct? Yes. I do, yeah. and I've and my career, quote unquote, <laughs> my career just started zooming when I got here, because mm-hmm. you know we did have a little bit of an adjustment because we moved straight to a beautiful island called Whidbey Island. I just spent past oh. the last week, past weekend there, gorgeous, mm-hmm. um, and we so we went straight from the heart of the city to, you know, a, a metropolis like Los Angeles, to this island in the northwest, and it was freezing. It was November. <laughs> we we oh, tried gosh. to rough it and be with nature, but it didn't work out, of course, so we moved back into the city of Seattle. And at that point, um, I had some recordings of myself. You know, as I said, I'd been doing studio work in Los Angeles, and I had some tapes in those days folks it was cassette tapes right it was and so i had mm-hmm. cassette tapes of myself from you know studio work that i'd done in la and i decided to try to find whatever recording studios there were in seattle <clears throat> pardon me well there were a couple but one of them was brand new and was attracting people from all over the world it's called k smith studios and it had just opened and they had just lost the main female singer that they were using for commercials and background vocals because she had decided to take a trip around the world with her husband. So I walked in with my cassettes and started getting tons of studio work. And I was Hmm. eventually known in the mid seventies, I was known as the jingle queen (laughs) because I did so many ads. And I did national cool, ads. Kelly. It was it was quite a time of life. It was really wonderful. I guess. So. And then something really dramatic happened, right? And you decided to have a baby. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Many people can relate to that decision. Yes. Um, yes. And here's this is what happened: was I was with my um, I was with my boyfriend from LA Craig and we were also songwriting partners so we wrote songs we wrote for a publishing company I did all this studio work I was in an international rock band that um, recorded in England and in the Bahamas and so career just sort of exploded when I got to the Northwest and I was very busy and and very you know it was exciting exciting times Mm-hmm. Then I met my current husband. We are just about to celebrate our 31st anniversary oh, in a few days or in a couple weeks. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is my husband, Chuck Deerdorf, and he is one of the luminaries on the jazz scene here in Seattle. He's um, an upright bass player, jazz bass player. And um, so I fell madly in love with Chuck. We were in a band together and it all just turned into uh, it turned into a wedding. Marcia, that's what it turned into. We got married. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. So I didn't know that background about you. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And, and I was, then you and decided. I, yeah, I got married in my late thirties. So wow, in, you know, or I was thirty six, thirty seven, and so the minute we got married, it was like, well, what are we going to do? We're two musicians and artists and teachers. That's what we both. You know, that's our the full story on us and our and you know, mm-hmm. we were together as partners in this wonderful musical world of Seattle and beyond. And, you know, were we going to be able to settle down and were our schedules going to accommodate the idea of a child? And so we threw it back and forth for about a year and I sometimes tell my husband it's like we were two kids sitting on the front steps in the summer saying what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. <laughs> because it went I back and forth. We should, we shouldn't. And so I had the brilliant idea of going to a therapist, a moderator who could help us with this. And I had someone who'd been in my life. And so I, I took Chuck to therapy and we, we sat there and we had a, boy, did this woman, you know, do a good job because we, sat there for an hour talking, getting all of our feelings out, da da da. And then I remember right after that, we it was in sort of a suburb a suburban area and we went to like a, a Denny's type place <laughs> and we're sitting in like mm-hmm. a Denny's ish place looking at each other and, and I said, Well, it looks like we're gonna do it and he said, It looks like we are gonna do it. And so we started trying and two years later I got pregnant. Wow. <laughs> welcome to the world, Will, right? And welcome to the world, my wonderful son, Will, who now is going to turn 27 in June. Nice. Time flies past. It does. Yes. And I had mentioned yeah. at the top of the show, um, Kelly, that you know that you are a singer, but I also mentioned that you are an author and I think we could spend the rest of the show really talking about your experience as Will's mother and your book and some of the the life experiences that you've had that you can share that will be inspiring also for our listeners because Will was diagnosed with autism, wasn't he? Yes. When he was two and a half. He was two and a half okay. years old and and that was the early 90s. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because now a lot of people um, either know somebody with autism, know somebody who has a child with autism, or has read something on, you know, online or in the paper. There's knowledge out there now, and people understand. There have been a few documentaries, but then... Will was really at the vanguard of this whole situation that started to happen where people were recognizing it, the numbers were getting higher, and um, that was really sort of the beginning. And And in the public schools where now they have classrooms devoted to kids, you know, 
on the spectrum. Then there was, in Seattle, there was one child that we knew of who was on the autism spectrum that was in mainstreamed into a public school and there were no kids in private schools and there was there just wasn't the kind of population that there is now so we were really at the beginning and and I say that because it I didn't really recognize I think he was just a little over two when we took him for just a regular checkup at the at his pediatrician and she was kind of a genius Marsha <laughs> and she mm. she just saw it in him right away she said she said straight she was one of these you know there was no warm and fuzzy about this doctor but I appreciate that fact she just looked us in the eye and said you know I think he has autism and from my discussions with other parents who have kids my age or you know Will's age um you know, who, who have adult mm-hmm. children with autism, um, they they didn't they didn't get that. There was a lot of the doctor doesn't want to say something like that to you yet. You know, so they'll wait or they'll say maybe it's this or maybe it's that or wait a year and see what happens. And but this woman just said, I think he has autism. And I remember, you know, you can imagine, <laughs> I was yes. completely devastated in that moment. But I was so glad because it within about two days, Chuck and I had just sprung into action to get help for him it, mm-hmm. because of that, because it was so, you know, okay, here it is. We didn't wait to have another test. You know, it was just so, so he was around too. So I talked to, to moms who their diagnosis came way later than that, four years old, five years old, or even seven or eight. And sometimes kids slip through the cracks too. You know, they don't, nobody sees it until they're in their teens. So I was lucky, I think. And um, yeah. You had mentioned, um, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you finished. Well, I was just going to say that at that same visit where, um, you know, where the, the doctor ran him through several tests and then it was clear to her at that same visit. She mentioned a school it's called the experimental education unit. And I wrote an essay about it in my book, but um, it's here. It's about three quarters of a mile from our house, really maybe a little further, but it's right in our neighborhood on the university of Washington campus. And uh, it's part of the UW. University of Washington and this school was taking kids like Will um, as infants one year old two years old and taking them through kindergarten with special education that was designed for for them it's a it's a research center so they are on the cutting edge of everything about autism and this doctor Nobody had ever heard of it. We, of course, never heard of it, and we never talked to anybody that ever mentioned it, but this doctor knew of it, and she said, have you tried calling the EEU? So as soon as I got home, I called the Experimental Education Unit, and they set me up with an appointment, and boy, it made all the difference in the world, Marsha. He had the best education he could ever have there. They knew exactly what to do. He had all the therapies, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, 
everything designed for a child like Will with the latest research on the on the disorder. So that happened. I think that's so exciting, and I would agree <clears throat> with you. Today, we are familiar with the term on the spectrum because there's, yes. as we've come to know, there are different levels of autism. I had a guest on my show, a singer. His name is Kobe oh. Bird. We'll have to talk about him on another another episode, but he's part of the Miracle Project through the Wallace Annenberg, and he's he's a performer, and he he's just he's unbelievable. I I feel so privileged to know Kobe. In fact, he was on the the show The Good Doctor, the the the, oh uh, where, the where the doctor plays the autistic doctor yes. who is, yes. is not autistic the the actor, but Kobe was on his show as the autistic patient. Oh, it's just phenomenal. It just gives me chills to think about this. But I digress. It's cool. But I want people to know a couple of things right now before it just sort of slips away and it's like, oh, two hours later. First of all, I want people to know that if they want to learn all about you, Kelly, they can easily go to Kelly, and that's K-E-L-L-Y, Harland, H-A-R-L-A-N-D.com, and there's a, there's, it's a terrific website, and it has all kinds of information about your background and your CDs and everything, everything Kelly. It's just, it's just fabulous. But <laughs> you've written a book, and I think it's been, it's been re-released. But you wrote a book back in 2002 called A Will, and I love the, the will, meaning it's also your son's name, A Will of right. Your Own, Reflections on Parenting a Child with Autism. And I know that that book is available, that people can go to Amazon today and find that book if they would like to read about your story. But I would really like to spend some time talking about your book and how you came about writing it and some of the things that you and Chuck learned as you were the parents of a young, young child, you know, raising a child with autism. I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, good. Well, you know... Now that he's 27, he still is at home. He has a volunteer job, but he's held other jobs that have been temporary situations where he's, um, I'm just kind of, before I talk about the book, I'm just giving you the update on Will sure. a little bit. Um, and he, he's thriving. He's, when you meet him, you know he's on the spectrum. He's, he's 27, but he's very childlike in his demeanor. But in a in a really delightful way that just sparks everybody, you know, it's just he's he's very outgoing and and high energy and fun. Um, so that is just like fantastic. But mm-hmm. you can you know, you know that he's he's got a challenge when you meet him, but everyone seems to agree that he's just one of the most delightful people on the planet, if I do say so myself as mom. <laughs> and what <laughs> one of the ways I'm sure you're two are the most delightful people on the planet too, Marcia. Anyway, um, I, I just think that what Chuck and I learned early on, in fact, I remember two things. First of all, the, the evening that Will was diagnosed by this doctor, I remember going to the supermarket in, in our neighborhood and we, we had a, um, you know, customer service box person who was challenged. And I knew that. And 
everyone loved him. He was he was our box boy, you know, and he was great. Mm-hmm. And and I remember seeing him and suddenly thinking that my child was going to be like that, you know, like <laughs> like different than I had expected. And I looked mm-hmm. at the kid who was at the checkout stand, and I I thought if that young man, I think he was like in his teens, if he came to your door right now and asked you to be his parent, would you turn him away? You know, would you? And I thought to myself, no, I would love him. I would love mm-hmm. him. You know, I wouldn't, it would be the opposite of I would turn him away. And so I, it just suddenly struck me, you know, well, this is, this is your child. Your child has these, and he's not different than he was yesterday. You know, when something like that happens and a parent gets a diagnosis of, of some sort of, you know, mental challenge, then you're like, that's not the same kid that I was expecting or that I felt that I had yesterday. But he was. Right. And, you know, and, and so, and then Chuck and I looked at each other in that same week and just said, we're going to, we're going to deal with this and we're going to make this good. And I just remember we, we never really said anything about it or dwelled on it together as parents. We just looked at each other and we just knew this was our little son. We adored him and, you know, let's move forward. So you know, we had that attitude, and then we also had this wonderful team of people surrounding us once we enrolled him at the EEU. And that really, you know, the community that you're talking about at the beginning of this show, that's where I learned mm-hmm. about community, Marcia, is when it came time to parent this kid. It's like mm-hmm. um, the the help that I got, the support that I got from other people, I want everybody to have that kind of support. So, when he was at this little school where there were where then I ended up meeting, you know, ten sets of parents like us because there were other children enrolled in the school that were just like Will and that opened up a whole new area of friendships which have lasted to this day. Um they had an they had a little school newsletter that one of the parents edited. And they were asking around for, you know, pieces for little writings from the parents. And I had been a songwriter, like I'd, you know, written songs throughout my musical life. But I also, when I was younger and we were in, we were at Airport Junior High in Westchester, not to go back there again, but (laughs) I remember having a couple of English teachers at those schools that was another place where I grew and, you know, really felt attached to something was in writing. And so I love to write. I just find it much more difficult than singing. (laughs) It's just not as easy for me. But when they asked for a piece about Will, I wrote this essay called Escalator Land. It's in the book. And, um, The reason I wrote about Escalator Land was because, like most kids on the autism spectrum, Will had these fixations, and he was fixated on escalators. That was one thing, was escalators, elevators, and um, sliding doors, and exit signs. Those were the things that he just couldn't stop talking about at age three. Yeah, this often something and you know then it morphs into other things as life goes on and 
you know, for some kids now it's video games and stuff, but as it is for most kids. But anyway, so uh, so this story, Escalator Land, was how was about how, you know, and you can read it in the book. It's about how there were two different theories at the time, ways of of going with these kids, either either try to keep them away from these fixations and turn their mind to something more normal or to go with it. And Chuck and I just decided we were going to go with it. We were going to let him lead and we would follow. So the story is about how I ended up taking Will on every escalator (laughs) within a 75-mile radius of Seattle and then even to Vancouver, and then to Portland. That was how we got him to travel, because he wasn't, he didn't want to go anyplace. He just wanted to stay in his little shell, and we always wanted to take him on a vacation, but he wouldn't go until I found out, I realized that if I, you know, tempted him and bribed him with escalators, he might do it, and indeed he did, because he just wanted to ride and ride and ride. And so that's if you we were did. to ask and him I re- today, oh, I'm sorry. Let me let you finish your thought. Oh no, <laughs> I'm so no, no, excited. No, no. That. I guess what I'd like to know, Kelly, is if you were to ask Will today about escalators, does can he recall what that meant to him? Does he talk about that at all? Yes, <laughs> I answer within a millisecond. Yes, because he his fixation now one of them because he still has them is the memories of the past, of his past life, of his schools. He's just written a book himself. He looked at my book oh, and decided kidding. he wanted to write his own book. And oh, what's it's the called, title? It's called A Very Special Education, and we're going to self-publish it here in a couple of months, and I'll keep Wonderful. you posted. But um, Please. it's called A Very Special Education because he wanted to write about all his schools. So he he can zip back to any time in his history after the age of two and and remember every single thing. So yes, he he he'll want to listen to this interview that we're doing right now. And when mm-hmm. he listens to it and he hears the story about escalators, I know he is going to laugh uproariously. <laughs> because he loves to remember. He loves to remember when he was in preschool. Well, so. Will, when you do come back and listen to this show, I want to just tell you, you hit the jackpot, my young friend, with a oh. mom and a dad, and they would say the same thing about you. How remarkably exciting this is. And, yes, Kelly, when this gets published, um, we will certainly make sure that we will let people know how to find that because this is a terrific story. I didn't know that. And I, I just, I, I'm overwhelmed with how exciting this is. And I'm truly, I, I really want to put you in contact because that's the beauty of social media today with yes. my friends that are very, very active in autism. The woman that started the Miracle Project also has an autistic child. And she has been yes. recognized more than once at the UN for what she's done for autism. Wow. And I, I really do want to be able to, her name is Elaine Hall, and she's oh, an, an extraordinary woman, and we'll, I will need to connect you to her. 
I'm, I'm just thinking I about this. I really, I just think that's just so cool. Do you right now, are you on a, a circuit where you are out yourself speaking as an advocate for autism? I know a couple of months ago, um, autism, I think April was um, yes. the autism month. So do you, are you asked to speak about this subject to groups? You know, I, yes, off and on I am. When the book first came out, um, I, I did a little bit more, but uh, because I was doing, you know, book signings and readings and things like that. But now um, I do it every now and then, maybe once a year, a group will, like Autism Speaks, when they have their local um, yes conferences and stuff, I, I, um, I do speak. I haven't in a while, and it's not very regular, um, but I do. I, I will say one thing about speaking in front of parents with aut- kids on the spectrum. That That's an interesting situation because um, when my the second edition of my book came out, it contained all the essays from the first edition, which went up to when Will was about eight years old. Then I added a few essays from the time he was in high school. And when you meet with parents and they're at a conference like that, usually their children are younger. And so it's sort of like they're not ready to hear about the high school years. <laughs> I so, see. You, know, they, you know what I mean? It's like they're, they're in this situation where they're trying to get the best for their child and they're, dreaming of whatever life is their dream for their kid and then if -hmm. they find out that my child is basically still you know acting as a person on the autism spectrum it's it sometimes can be jarring for them to hear about an older an older child so I sort of sometimes and I kind of pick and choose where I where I talk I, I, I like that, to that, speak that in front of sense. people who people who are teaching. I've spoken in front of college groups, you know, who who are on the special ed teacher track and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see I can I can see both sides of that. I I having not had that experience, but I, a part of me thinks that if I've got the nine year old or the eight year old, and you've got a child that's you know. 10 years older than mine or 15 years older than mine and your child is functioning and I hear about the success that your child is having in some ways. And I know that the spectrum has a variety from nonverbal speakers to, you know, what what you would hear today. You would hear today that back in the day before this was a diagnosis of any kind, that there were many, many what they would have called pocket protector engineers that, were highly educated, but were socially very awkward, could function at right. their job, but that was about all they could do. And today, if that was how they were presented, there may have been some some curiosity about perhaps being on the spectrum. So for me, I, I'm, I'm not experiencing this as a parent, but if you were speaking about your son at 27 – and he's still functioning, and he's he's is he loving his life? Sure, does he have some challenges? But oh, I can take a deep breath. There's hope, you know. I I that's I think, but I'm not yes. experienced to know if that's how I would feel. But it seems like that would be in, in, um inspiring for me. 
Yes, and it is. It is for most parents, you know, absolutely. And and I think that so many parents of children of all types and all abilities end up in a place where they say to themselves, is my child happy? Is he happy and right. is he going to be happy? And like you said, does he love his life? I mean, that turns out to be the most important thing in all families. And so regardless, that, you know, regardless, every parent's and, desire, you bet. Absolutely. And that's, that's what happened for us. He's very that's happy. Really great. <laughs> he has, so, he has a little bit so of ang- great. a little bit of an anxiety, it, anxiety issues. Those are, those mm-hmm. are kind of hallmark things too. But, um, mm-hmm. but he, but other than that, you know, he's just, he's a real go-getter. <laughs> That's fabulous. So yeah. let me ask you, in, in, before we suddenly are out of time, and I think you and I could go on for a couple of hours, when you're sure. not performing and you're not writing, what do you like to do for fun? What, what, where do you decompress and, and, and enjoy your life? Ooh. Well, let's see. I, and then you might, you might want to put in there, too, when I'm not parenting. Because, because <laughs> Will still true, does huh? require that. You know what I mean? Um, yes. I, I dance, dance, dance. That's mm. what I. I, you know, I love to walk. I love to be in nature. I love my friends. I have so many friends in Seattle. You know, it's mm-hmm. just I'm totally blessed with girlfriends. Yes. And now what you're one of them. them. What, what would we what do would without them? What would we do without them? Yes. What will yeah. we do without so, our girlfriends? So, it's true. Right. Right. Exactly. So so the girlfriends are there, and I love to get together with people, but I'm in a couple of dance classes. One of them is a hip-hop dance class, and cool. I'm just rocking out to everybody a couple times a week. <laughs> That's and great. I'm, I'm 30, 30 years older than anybody in that class. I'm in another class where it's like a lot of over 50s, but I'm, you know, I'm in one class where I'm 30 years older than anybody and just keeping up just fine. <laughs> That's just so cool. That's just, this is so great. You know, we did have our 50-year high school reunion this past September. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that you weren't able to be there. And hopefully, uh, listen, Me too. I'm planning a 70th birthday party for people, well, and, and you you weren't born in 1949, correct? When were you born? Were you born in 1949? 1950. 50, I was okay, born so right smack in the center. There you go. Well, I'm planning a party. For the majority of us, I was, I was my birthday is the end of October, so most people were older than me in, in class as well. But I, right. I plan on putting together a 70th birthday party, much like I did when we all turned 65 and became the Medicare group. And I'm hoping that maybe with advance notice and ability, you'll be able to come down and and get together with those choir kids because, like you said oh. at the beginning of the show, oh my gosh, there you know I plan all these reunions, Kelly, and so there's the jocks, and then there's there's the special service clubs and the blah blah blah. But the group that is the most highly representative of all of those groups is the choir. And with oh Jeannie Zentmeyer, and I know that's a name you know because she led the choir. Oh, it's a name, you, it's a face, Jean, it's a personality, everything. Oh, she 
brought everybody together that was at the reunion, regardless if you were in the class of 67 or maybe you were married to somebody like my friend Sherry that was in the class of 67. And she a cappella got everybody to sing, May the Lord Bless and Keep You. Now, I know that that's a significant song to you, isn't it? Yes, it is, and I needed to be there. (laughs) You know, know, and, and so it'll happen. Because if if you don't come this way, I'm ju- I'm getting on an airplane, and I'm going to yes. see you instead. Of course. And because I love where you live, and this hour has just as I knew it would, it has just flown by. Because it has. There's there's a there is a connection that's so deep, and that's why when I started my radio show, Born to Talk, and it's it's three years now I've been doing this every Monday. I, wow. I, I know because I, you, you were busy singing, I was busy talking. I, I <laughs> knew that I was born to do this, and I knew that I had the excitement of of bringing this, the three C's as I call it, and then adding what's your story. And clearly, you've had a fabulous, fabulous story to to share about your musical career, about being Will's mom, and what that means, and. And it's inspiring, Kelly. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to go and check out your book, where there's a where there's a will. Let me get it straight. Now I've got my notes in front of me, and I'm not even saying it right. <laughs> so tell me the name of your book once again, just so I don't blow it. Oh, a will of his own. Oh, that's right. A will. A will of his, a will own. Of his own. Yes. And people can find it on Amazon. And I want to encourage people to find that book to and look for his book when it's published to to look at your CDs and listen to that sultry sexy voice that you still have <laughs> and sort i of. just want to thank you so much for spending this monday with me kelly it's just been fabulous thank you so much marcia it's been terrific thank you so much my pleasure and everybody you can continue to listen to me every week by just logging on to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash born to talk. That's where you can find the show. They're on demand. Every show is archived. You can even see what the upcoming show is all about. You can always find me on Facebook. I'm everywhere. That's w, that's a, a born to talk radio show. And that's my name of my Facebook page. And you can follow us there. And I just want to thank you all for your continued support. I love doing this. I've loved having you, Kelly. And I look forward to having you all join me again next week. Until next time, everybody, thanks again for being a part of the show. Bye for now. Bye, Kelly. Star Wars is back. Hello, Chewie. How are you? I didn't really think this through because I can't understand him. Next, Ellen, Woody Harrelson from Solo and Gail King. Today at 3 on NBC4. And think there's no reason to stay up until 11? Let's do the math. Four radars, more choppers, and this team equals more coverage at 11. Chuck, Colleen, Fritz, Fred. Call on these four before you call it a night. NBC4 News at 11. 
To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now at Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 623.18.